KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, April 29th. No-fault evictions in San Diego. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Another inmate has died while in custody at a jail run by the San Diego County Sheriff's Department. It's the eighth in-custody death this year. Officials say they did everything they could to save Omar Ornelas, but Yusuf Miller of the Racial Justice Coalition of San Diego says more reforms need to be made to stop in-custody deaths. We want um, better protocols for drug uh, rehab and, and drug interaction. We want better mental health staff, better medical staff. An autopsy was conducted Thursday on Ornelas. San Diego has had one of the highest in-custody death rates in the state for the past 15 years. The FBI in San Diego is warning people about an increase in sextortion incidents involving children. Sextortion is a crime that involves an adult contacting a minor through social media to engage in explicit activity on an online video platform, which is then secretly recorded by the predator. The predator will then extort the minor for money to prevent the videos from being posted online. The most common victims of sextortion are male teenagers. Sextortion crimes carry penalties up to life in prison. There were 275 unintentional prescription drug-related deaths in San Diego County in 2020. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department is holding an event Saturday in an effort to address the issue. You can drop off unwanted and expired prescriptions at sheriff stations in Imperial Beach, Poway, San Marcos, and Alpine from 10 to 2 on Saturday. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Hundreds of San Diegans have been caught in a wave of evictions that has nothing to do with their ability to pay rent. They're called no-fault evictions, and city officials want to stop landlords from using them as a tool to kick people out. iNewsource investigative reporter Cody Dulaney spoke to one tenant who is now facing homelessness. David Zimmerman is standing in his bathroom in North Park, trying to put a window panel back in place. Yeah, so this is the broken one, which just comes right out of this, and then see the hot glue holding it there, and just kind of fits in. The 30-year-old tenant has been renting this four-bedroom house since the beginning of March. Just kind of like screwed in. But yeah, I mean, it's just completely broken, and then the best you can do to... The window and a busted heater were causing problems. Days after he moved in back in March, San Diego was hit with one of the coldest temperatures on record. So Zimmerman complained to his landlord. He wasn't being aggressive, he said, but he wouldn't let it go. The following week, an eviction notice showed up on his front door. Despite having paid his rent on time and never violating his agreement, Zimmerman was asked to vacate May 1st. 
It's a type of eviction hundreds of renters across San Diego County have faced in recent months. And suddenly the idea of being homeless, of sleeping in a car, of couch surfing, all those thoughts like immediately were very overwhelming. State law doesn't allow owners to use this type of eviction to kick out renters at any time. Only if a landlord plans to sell, renovate, or move into the property. But for a long time, they didn't have to prove they followed through. Gilberto Vera, with the Legal Aid Society of San Diego, says it's not uncommon for landlords to evict renters only to turn around and rent to someone else at a higher rate. Tenants in our county are vulnerable from being exploited by their landlords because of these loopholes. The San Diego City Council wants this to stop. A new moratorium passed last week requires that landlords meet certain conditions, such as giving tenants more notice. Chula Vista is taking similar steps next month. But some owners say this only ties their hands with what they can do with their property. This really seems to be a political move that doesn't protect or preserve access to affordable housing in any way. That's Lucinda Lilly, president of the Southern California Rental Housing Association. There are some cases where renters definitely need to be protected because not all housing providers are focused on the common good. I will admit that. But likewise, most are not actively trying to displace well-meaning renters. The city's moratorium, which could prevent renters like Zimmerman from being evicted, doesn't take effect until May 19th, two weeks after his landlord wants him out. But Aaron Rounds with the Tenants Legal Center says even in cases like this, where Zimmerman only has a verbal agreement to live there, not a lease, the new moratorium appears to favor tenants. There is potential that he could be protected. Rounds says hundreds of tenants across San Diego could soon see relief. We think it's going to cover any tenant, whether or not there is a written lease agreement and you know whether or not they've lived there for three months or, or two years. With just a few days before he is expected to vacate his home, Zimmerman is sorting through his belongings and trying to figure uh, out his just, next moves. For this stuff, I mean, I'm donating this, this old, uh, this old sewing machine. For now, he has to decide between resisting an eviction and potentially having that on his record or facing homelessness. But as of now, I'm super broke. I've been looking at other places in the area and everything is ridiculously expensive. There's no one bedrooms for less than like 15 in the area. The city's eviction moratorium will last through this fall. For KPBS, I'm iNewsource investigative reporter Cody Dulaney. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Moderna is seeking emergency use authorization from the FDA for its mRNA COVID-19 vaccine for children six months to five years old. This comes as recent CDC data shows 75 percent of children across America have been infected with the coronavirus. Dr. Mark Sawyer is an infectious disease expert with Rady Children's Hospital. He's also a member of the FDA advisory committee that will be reviewing Moderna's emergency use use request. Sawyer says that because of the high infection rate, we're going to have to look very carefully at the data that has been generated by Moderna to see if it still makes sense to use this vaccine at this time as opposed to maybe a new variant vaccine coming up. He says the FDA will review the data and then call the advisory committee to submit comments. He expects that to happen sometime in June. 
San Diego County is now accepting clients for its Immigrant Rights Legal Defense Program. The program offers legal services to immigrants detained in the county who face deportation. District 3 County Supervisor Tara Lawson-Reamer proposed the initiative and said at a press conference Thursday that the services will change lives in the region's immigrant community. This program provides real resources to protect the right to due process for all San Diegans. County leaders budgeted $5 million and hope to serve at least 1,000 clients in the pilot program's first year. For more on the program and how to get help through it, go to inewsource.org. Warmer days bring more beach visitors trespassing across railroad tracks to get to the water. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us San Diego sheriffs will be patrolling the area and handing out fines for trespassing. North County Transit District wants to install a fence along the railroad coastline to try to reduce the number of people crossing the railroad tracks. But the California Coastal Commission filed a complaint against NCTD to keep the fence from going up. With more visitors hitting the beach, NCTD is teaming up with the San Diego sheriffs to remind the public that trespassing the tracks is dangerous and illegal. Chris Orlando is with NCTD. An average of about 12 lives are lost each year due to illegal crossing or walking on NCTD's railroad tracks. San Diego sheriffs will be patrolling areas with a lot of foot traffic and may issue warnings or citations of up to $400. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Coming up, the future of California's solar industry is uncertain as state regulators consider rewriting the rules. The solar industry is complaining about the same thing. We're complaining about the same thing. I think everyone would like to see this wrapped up. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Change is coming to California's rooftop solar market. But when it arrives and what it'll look like is a closely guarded secret. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says regulators are carving out a new solution to adjust solar market rules after the first plan landed with a thud. California is still waiting for a reboot of efforts to overhaul the state's solar power system three months after the governor essentially shut the process down. I'll say this about the plan, we still have some work to do. The January state budget news conference was really the only time that Gavin Newsom spoke publicly about the utility-friendly plan unveiled in December. That blueprint called for steep monthly connection fees and slashed the value of electricity residents sell back to the grid. Do I think uh, that changes need to be made? Yes, I do. But since then, crickets. It's all he's really said. Dave Rosenfeld works with the Solar Rights Alliance, a group pushing back against the first CPUC proposal. He warns that the plan would kill the state's popular and successful solar industry. It's remarkable. Something this popular, something this 
clear where the public is at. And then, you know, again, his primary surrogate at the CPUC, Alice Reynolds, has said also remarkably little. But Rosenfeld says the wall of silence has cracks, and he's concerned about what's leaking through. CPUC staffer Simon Baker told state lawmakers at the end of March that non-solar customers are paying billions of dollars to subsidize solar. These remarks came from Baker during a legislative hearing. I should clarify that there are um, other points that are on the record as well, and it is a, a disputed issue of fact. Disputed, but Baker only presented one side of the story. He echoed utility complaints that costs linked to rooftop solar are being shifted to non-solar customers. And Assemblymember Wendy Correa, in turn, echoed Baker's remarks and even read them into the legislative record. The cost shift in not addressing net energy metering, which hurts renters and uh, low-income families, would be at the tune of $6.7 billion if not addressed by 2030. Correct? Based on what you just said. Yes, that's what I said. The Solar Rights Alliance's David Rosenfeld says Baker is spreading utility disinformation. The opposite is true, by the way. Rooftop solar users not only pay their fair share, but they actually reduce the cost of the electrical grid and saves all ratepayers' money whether or not they have solar. Rosenfeld says rooftop solar does away with the need to build costly transmission lines to large solar farms in the backcountry. And power lines that don't get built won't start fires that can cost the state and utilities billions. Since January, the commission's meetings, which didn't even have solar on the agenda, were filled with hours of comments like these from Oakland's Area White. I totally oppose any kind of solar tax from rooftop solar, including fixed charges that discriminate against solar users. One meeting included seven hours of public comment, and the remarks were not one-sided. Union electrician Shamari Davis of Los Angeles shared his perspective. The commission should address the recent decision it made that will have non-rooftop solar customers paying into subsidies for others to install solar. The state's investor-owned utilities, including San Diego Gas and Electric, are staying quiet on the issue. SDG&E repeatedly declined a chance to be interviewed, but said in a statement they look forward to a CPUC decision. And that is something utility-funded groups like Affordable Energy for All agree with. Kathy Fairbanks says, enough already. Legislators have been complaining about the lack of movement at the Public Utilities Commission. The solar industry is complaining about the same thing. We're complaining about the same thing. I think everyone would like to see this wrapped up. And we're, no one is certain when it will be or what the holdup is, when the changes will come. Nobody knows. When that decision comes, it could completely change California's solar landscape or only make minor adjustments. Regulators have to balance utility demands to stay profitable, while at the same time growing the solar market so California can meet rigorous carbon reduction goals. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says he's committed to adding more bike lanes to city streets, even in the face of community opposition. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has more. Gloria's remarks Thursday came after he and his staff apologized over several recent bike safety projects that caught residents off guard. But he also said that doesn't mean he'll give up on bike infrastructure when residents object. If their objections are a reflexive opposition to change, that's 
probably not going to get a positive hearing here because we do need to make some changes. Our climate is changing, uh, inflation, other issues are causing us to change and try and give people more options. It's necessary for both the economic vitality of the city as well as our climate action plans. A few weeks ago, Gloria ordered city staff to remove a new and unfamiliar type of bike lane added to a street in Mira Mesa. The latest bike lane project on Park Boulevard in University Heights is due for a public hearing on May 5th. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. And one more before you go. This weekend marks the fifth annual San Diego Book Crawl. It's a multi-day event that brings together 11 of the region's independent bookstores. KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans spoke with Jesse Gutierrez, co-owner of the new Liba Lula Books in Barrio Logan, and Scott Ehrlich Burgess with the Library Foundation of San Diego. Here's that interview. And Jesse, let's start with you and the origin story of Liba Lula Books. Can you tell me what was the driving force behind opening a bookstore for you? I was an educator in the neighborhood where the bookshop resides in Barrio Logan for about seven and a half years. I focused on literacy and art integration. And so when we dreamt up the idea of having the bookshop, it was really just a place for my students to go after school, hang out, have access to stories that aligned with their identity. What is your background with books and reading? I love books. (laughs) I feel like probably Scott's the same. For me, they definitely hold a special place in my heart because I grew up around a lot of books. My second home was kind of the library. So I'm really grateful for public libraries. I still refer to them as the people's university. Uh, I know it takes a lot of labor to keep them running and going. And my siblings and I spent a lot of time there. My mom was a single mom. So that was kind of an impromptu babysitter. I love that. And Liba Lula Books in particular is known for its inclusivity, particularly for the BIPOC and LGBTQ community. And you also identify as what you call a felonista-owned space. What does it mean for a bookstore to be so radically inclusive? And why is that foundational for you? Those are all aspects of our identity, my partner and I. Those are just parts of who we are. So it seemed very natural and important to be open about that so that folks that align with that identity as well find a home within our space and feel welcome and celebrated and not so alienated. And so we are very open about it because it's just who we are. And does that outlook impact the kind of choices you make about which books you stock on your shelves? 100%. First and foremost, I pick books I like. (laughs) I have a lot of books that are my favorite on the shelves. So y'all are subject to all of that. Um, But so far, so good. We do try to center narratives and voices from folks that maybe don't always have a big platform. Uh, It's definitely changing in current day. And I love that. I love to see that. I love other bookstores being more inclusive and celebrating voices that we haven't traditionally heard from. And so we are definitely going to be uplifting voices of color, Indigenous and Black folks that are doing storytelling. And that's just a huge part of their culture to begin with. And my culture as an Indigenous person, and then also LGBTQ experiences that don't all end in demise or a sad ending. So we really try to include a lot of those different narratives. And Scott, you have been known to say that Book Crawl is Super Bowl weekend for book nerds. 
And this is the fifth annual book crawl. Can you tell us a little bit about why and how our local independent bookstores first came together for the Super Bowl? (laughs) Yeah, sure. It's actually sort of controversial because it is the fifth independent bookstore day, San Diego book crawl, but it's technically the sixth if you count the first one we did, which was a neighborhood book crawl. So it was only three stores. It was the library shop and verbatim and blue stocking. And the way it started was a library shop employee named Kimberly, who no longer works here, had an amazing idea. She came uh, to work after going on the San Diego yarn crawl. And she said to me, we should put together a book crawl. And I said, that's a terrible idea. Nobody's going to do it. And then we decided to do it anyway. So we called up our friends at Verbatim and Blue Stocking, and they were sort of skeptical as well, but we thought we'd give it a try. So we gave away a tote if you went to all three stores in one day. And we didn't even bother to print totes. We made them ourselves with a screen printer in the back of the store. And all the stuff was sold out after an hour of this first mini crawl. So at that point, we realized we were onto something and we opened it up to the other indies in all of San Diego. So right now it's three days, it's 11 indie bookstores and you can check the store websites for the hours. We all keep our own hours because we're independent booksellers. So we do things our own way. Uh, You can also follow SD Book Crawl on Instagram to sort of learn more about how it works. And that was KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans speaking with Liba Lula Books co-owner Jesse Gutierrez and library shop manager Scott Ehrlich-Burgess. The San Diego Book Crawl takes place Saturday through Monday with 11 local independent bookstores participating. You can find more details at kpbs.org. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior radio producer, Brooke Ruth, and me, Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.